welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we're equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. A quick little message before we get into today's episode, we have decided to split this episode into two separate parts because when we sat down with Brooke, we quickly realized that she has so much incredible content and wisdom to share and we really wanted to make sure she had the opportunity to do so. So we split it into two parts. Part one is this episode and part two will be released next week. So please sit back and enjoy our wonderful episode with our beautiful friend and doula, Brooke. And just one more thing, I really quickly want to just apologize for the sound audio in today's episode. For some reason, our microphone was turned down a little bit low, so you may have to turn it up from here on in in the episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Three Little Things podcast. My name is Sarah, and I'm with my co-host Lily, as always. And we have our doula, Brooke, back for her second episode. So... For those of you that don't know Brooke or haven't listened to her first episode, she joined us in season one, episode five. And in that episode, Brooke taught us and and shared with you guys what a doula is, what she does, um, and all of that kind of fun stuff about the doula's role in pregnancy and birth and all of that fun stuff. So head back to episode five if you haven't already and give that a listen, and that will give you a really beautiful foundation that will lead into today's episode. So welcome back, Brooke. We're very excited. It's wonderful to be back. I'm really excited to chat again, all things birth. Yeah, this and this episode, yeah, we're going to chat really quite in depth about birth and labor and what that looks like and the stages of labor and all that fun stuff. So why don't you, um, yeah, kick us off with what we're going to chat about today. Perfect. So I thought that it would be great to talk through what I, um, I guess, how I prepare my clients um, in the sessions that I do with them through the pregnancy. And one of the first things that we really look at is writing a birth plan or what is also called birth wishes. Um, And that is to really note down through your pregnancy the type of birth that you would like to have so that when you go into labor and you are in the throes of you know those strong sensations that are occurring in your body that you don't need to be making those decisions there and then when you're not when you're in a different frame of mind basically Um, I always say which I don't know whether it's entirely correct but I say that a birth plan is like a legal document in the sense that if you write down what your birth preferences are and you go into a hospital and you share that with your doctor or with your midwife and they don't abide by that in the sense that, um, you know, say the baby was born and you had put on your birth plan that you wanted to make sure that there was delayed cord clamping and then that wasn't actually what was done on the day and it was cut too quickly, then that is something to really bring up with the care providers in terms of not really listening to your request and what you were wanting. So having a birth plan means that um, when you go into a hospital, uh, you're showing the midwives and the doctors that you've really thought about your birth, that you're educated, and that you know what your choices are. So I do often hear things like, oh, I don't want a birth plan, I'm just gonna go with the flow. Mm. Now, to me, that kind of makes me very concerned. And the reason being is that if we just, there's many times in life where we should go with the flow. Yep. But birth is not one of them. Yep. 
in the sense that you want to go in with a really clear vision as to the type of birth that you want yeah. so that you don't fall into going with the flow of what the hospital just want you to do. Okay. Yeah. Then what we need to do is almost kind of throw away the birth plan in a sense and surrender to what is happening in the process of labour. Um, but it means that you're also going in there with a written form in terms of what you want to happen in established labour, whether you want to have a water birth or whether you want to catch the baby yourself or your partner wants to do that, whether you want to have delayed cord clamping, whether you want to have a natural delivery of the placenta versus syntocinin. So there's many, many things through the pregnancy that women need to be educated on so that they know that they have a choice. Because I do often hear a lot, oh, well, I would have done that, but I didn't know that I could do that. Yeah. And so this is where a role of a doula comes in, is that we do all that education through the pregnancy yeah. so we don't need to educate on the day. Great. That's exactly yeah. what we want, right? Perfect. Um, and with these, you know, I, I love the way you say that, you know, having a very clear vision and a, a clear wish as to how you want it to go, but also surrendering to the process because I think ultimately, yep. um, and I, I'm sure we've all seen it and heard of people that have sort of had what they would describe as a traumatic birth experience because it hasn't gone to their, pl their plan. Yes, exactly. Um, so I think that's a beautiful statement that, you know, if we could give that as a gift in a statement just to every woman, that would be yeah, be, perfect. Be really well educated and well informed with the type of birth that you want to have and be very determined on the day to do it. Have the people around you that support you and believe in you. Mm. And then we don't know how birth is going to unfold. Yeah? yeah, it's sort of as, you know, myself and many doulas say, it's up to the birthing gods mm. on the day. Um, but to go in with no idea and no plan of what you want, it's a bit like going into, you know, start a job for the first time and you've got no idea about the role that you're doing, yeah? yeah. Then you feel really anxious and scared because you're you're not prepared. Yeah. And so birth is the same thing. It's really, you do need to kind of take it on through pregnancy as being, not like a job, but like learning and studying something mm. that you've never studied before. Yeah, it's yeah? like training for an event, right? Totally, like, yeah. and that's why they call it labor, yeah? Because it's yeah. like running a marathon. Yeah. So you don't just sort of rock up and, <laughs> you know, run that marathon without training first. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really like, I'll just pinpoint that for a second. I like explaining what that word, you know, labor means, because I think also plenty of people associate labor with pain, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, but that whole idea of hard labor, like hard yakka and pain. And so I mm. like hearing that as a, an ex a explanation for labor, because it's like, well, yeah, we, we prepare for it. We prepare to do the labour. Exactly. Um, and I'm sure I'm not a runner. I don't know whether you are at all, but I'm sure when you run a marathon, it's in stages. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So you have to, you know, start off, I would say, you wouldn't be, you know, running really quickly at the beginning and then run out of puff at the end. Yeah. So you have to prepare for the energy that it takes to run a marathon. Mm. And labour is the same as well. So it's in stages. Yeah. Yeah, which we're going to talk about as well today. Uh, and how do you prepare for pre-labour versus looking at established labour because they're very, very different. Yeah. And then looking at second stage, which is the birthing of the baby. And then third stage, which is birthing the placenta. Yeah. So I think it's really important for women as well. Sometimes you can get overwhelmed by uh, looking at it as one whole big thing that consumes you instead of being in the present moment of what happens on the day. So mm. when you're in pre-labor, be in pre-labor. Yeah. Don't be thinking about yeah. Established birthing the baby. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. So, and you know, we need to do that in life, don't we? Yeah. So there's this beautiful quote that says that you will birth the way that you live. Yeah. So we need yeah, to learn that. how to live in the present. Yeah. So that you can then birth in the present. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Very grounding. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you have a lot of anxiety in your life, yeah, yeah it's really important to work through that through your pregnancy so that you don't birth with that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just back to the, the birth wishes, obviously it's those birth wishes need to happen between both partners, you know, the birthing mother and her partner. And then that message needs to be, all those messages need to be relayed to their support team. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. we write, uh, so we go through birth wishes throughout the pregnancy. And then I always say to clients that are around 36, 37 weeks, they give a copy of that to either their midwife or their doctor. And then uh, they will go through the birth wishes with the, with the woman. And if there's anything on there that they need to discuss or they're concerned about, then they will have a conversation with the woman as to why she wants that particular thing. Um, but most hospitals now um, are really supportive of things like delayed cord clamping, skin-to-skin mm-hmm. -skin contact for mum and baby afterwards. Uh, so it's not like you're asking for things that are totally, you know, out there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. And so when you're creating these birth wishes with your clients, I'm, I'm going to guess it's not an overnight thing, you know, give them the piece of paper and go give this to me tomorrow with all your birth wishes on it. Exactly. But it's a process, right? It is a process. And each woman is different because some women, you know, some women may really want to have a water birth and then other women can't think of anything worse than birthing their baby in a bathtub, yeah? Mm -hmm. So it's really an individual process as well. Yeah. And then it's also through the education. So some women, if I use the water birth as an example, some women may be terrified of birthing their baby in the water because they feel that it's not safe if the baby comes out underneath the water, won't they drown? Yeah. You know, and that's because they don't have any understanding of the process of water births and what's going on. So then you explain that no, the baby's coming from water into water. The baby's not breathing until it takes its first breath when it comes up out of the out of the water. So when you explain all of that, more so to partners as well, yeah. I think dads sort of get a bit shocked about babies being born mm -hmm. under the water. Yeah. So when you explain the clinical part of it, then it breaks down that fear. And then you may have a woman who was like totally against having a water birth who now is going, oh, that's actually a great option. Yeah. So education then leads to potentially making different choices. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, and do you have many women that sort of have, you know, let's use the water birth as an example. Obviously, we don't know necessarily how we're going to feel during labour and what is going to feel really intuitive. And, you know, I guess we can still make choices while we're in labour, which I'm sure we'll get to. But do you have many women that go, you know, I really don't think a water birth is appropriate for me and then get to labour and go, wow, I would feel a bit more comfortable in some water right now. Totally. Or, yeah, have that instinct. Yeah, and there's the, there is a lot of um, clinical studies out there to show that when women are submerged in hot water, that it reduces the need for um, pain medication. Mm. Uh, so we do know that it is a beautiful way to support the mother in, in labour and also a beautiful way for a baby to be born. Yeah. I mean, I've witnessed so many babies being born now in water and it's just, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So I had one client who birthed in the in the pool and um, the baby's head came out. Actually, she birthed the baby posterior, which is where the baby um, is spine on spine. And so babies, when they're born, they will be looking down normally. And so her baby was looking up 
And so this little girl was just looking up at us underneath the water with her eyes opened. And then she just gradually, um, you know, caught her baby and brought her baby up out of the bathtub. And it's like they have two births because they're born under the water. Mm. And then they come up and take their first breath. And then it's like they're born again. And then often they'll lay on the mother's chest and then go back to sleep again because it's just such a calming way for a baby to be born. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So that. definitely, if anyone's out there and uh, thinking of a water birth, definitely keep it as an option. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. So once you've actually one note on that yeah. is that um, what I do find a lot of women don't realise that if you are birthing in the public system in Australia. Water births are an option in most hospitals. Great. But women think that if they go private with an obstetrician, that they get better care and better facilities. Mm -hmm. um, but the majority of um, private hospitals in Australia, you can't have a water birth. Wow, why so, is that? I don't know whether it's got to do potentially with insurance or something, with obstetricians, or obstetricians not really being in favour so much of water births. Okay. Um, I only know of one hospital that I have been at, which is the Sands Hospital in um, Sydney, which I have had two women in the private hospital there have a water birth. Okay. Um, so hopefully, you know, it is changing. Mm. Um, but that is one thing to, I guess, look at when you're deciding which hospital to go, whether to go public or private, private yeah. is to really look at what options you have. Yeah, um, and what aligns with your birth exactly. wishes, really. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, and so kind of flowing on from that, we're going to talk about the stages of labour. Great. So you mentioned them before, but let's chat about them a little bit more detail. Yeah. So I will often say to women, how will you know that you're going into labour? So this is when we talk about pre-labour. So pre-labour meaning before labour starts. Um, and if we look at some of the physical signs of things that can occur, Often women will say, well, my waters may break or um, the mucus plug may mm -hmm. come away, which is always a funny one to have a conversation, especially with dads around this word <laughs> mucus plug. And it is kind of what it sounds like. It's a mucusy plug thing <laughs> um, that is basically keeping the cervix closed so that nothing from the outside world can get in to infect the baby. Yeah. So when the woman's body and the baby are ready, then that mucus plug sometimes may then start to come away in early pre-labour. Yeah. Um, but again, it varies from woman to woman. So some women can lose the mucus plug at 38 weeks. They can go to the toilet, do a wee, and then wipe, and there's this stringy kind of mucusy discharge come away. But then they may not birth the baby until 40 weeks. Mm. So it's not an indication that you're about to have your baby. Yeah. It's just a sign that things are changing. Mm. Some women may have um, softer stools, so that's also a physical sign that things are shifting. So it's also a sign that the hormones are shifting and changing as well. It's a sign that the body is wanting to create space to empty. Um, so that's a physical sign. And then I always say to women to look at not just the physical kind of signs of pre-labor, but to also now look at what are the mental and emotional signs of labor because we can't just categorize birth and labor as just a purely physical experience. Yeah. So And what um, are some of those more emotional? Yeah. So, you know, some of the the sort of very common ones that we hear which is nesting. Yeah. So women really feeling like they need to make sure everything is in place and in order. Um, so that's definitely something that is, you know, emotionally going on for a woman. Sometimes she can just start crying for no reason. Um, I had a client once say to me, I don't know what's going on, but I just feel different. Mm. 
so that intuitively, so looking at the sort of spiritual component, I guess you would say, of pre-labor is an intuition within the women, within the woman to know that something is shifting and changing within her. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's also, I've had clients where they'll get to the end of the pregnancy and it may be, oh, I'm so over the pregnancy, I just want the baby out. Or it may be, um, you know, it's taken them a long time to conceive the child. It could be that it's their last pregnancy. Mm. So there could be emotions attached to that of mm. maybe not wanting to give up the pregnancy just yet. So it's really a conversation of looking at the transition from being pregnant and moving into labour and becoming a mother. Mm. So again, that varies from woman to woman depending on what fears that she has throughout yeah. the, the pregnancy or how her pregnancy has been. Um, and then it's also looking at her relationship with her partner as well. So um, I find that that is a, a big one as well. So if there are issues or concerns in a relationship or a marriage, mm. um, the baby will pick up on the emotions of a woman. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have to really look at what's going on for the mother and how the baby is sensing and feeling that. So sometimes women may hold on and go you know, overdue. And then it's looking at, okay, well, is she going overdue because something emotionally is going on with her? Mm. Or is she just going, you know, past the due date because that's also a normal process yeah. as well. Um, yeah, so mm. yeah. I've lost track now of where I was going. That's all right. That. What about you, Lily? I mean, I know obviously you've given birth to three wonderful children um, and, you know, see pregnant women all the time. So do you have any input into that, that sort of pre-labour I think to back Brooke up, you know, the mucus plug thing is what we notice in the practice a lot because mm. when everything is softening um, biomechanically mm. and people's pelvises are softening, and I was just mentioning to Brooke before about the, um, the pregnancy waddle, you know, mm. how a lot of women are refusing to do this typical waddle until they really know that, guess what, you have to do it for the baby to descend. So their sacroiliac ligaments are really soft by then, their pubic synthesis is, is shot and the baby can actually nuzzle further down into the pelvis and the woman has to begin to waddle. So we often notice that. Mm. We also notice um, Braxton Hicks contractions, mm. they become more um, numerous and regular, sort of the contractions the um, uterus does to practice um, for labor. And also because um, <clears throat> the uterus is a midline structure and so is the, um, the throat. And the cervix and the throat are so connected neurologically. Yes. We find that some women's voices actually change. So their voices become lower, you know, and, and slower. So, so rather than having a high-pitched sort of female voice, the women's voices actually um, drop to more like a tenor. That's incredible. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they just go, oh, okay, getting getting close now, hey? Yeah. yeah. And how to keep that channel open because this is, I've, we get taught this in yoga as well. And, um, you know, there's such a connection between the throat all the way down to the cervix yeah so which is why I will often um, teach clients to either blow through their lips to use really low sounds instead of high pitch sounds um, and that's all connected to keeping that channel mm. nice and open that's right so yeah. there's this beautiful midwife in the states Ina Mae Gaskin mm. and she has a saying that loose lips up here so our speaking <laughs> lips yeah. means loose lips down there so the two are intricately connected, aren't mm, they? It's mm, like totally. I, yeah, when you get a pap smear, they ask you to cough and you can feel it down there. Mm. So it just shows you that connection between 
mm. those, yeah, that channel. And pre-labor, as you probably know, Brooke can last from minutes to, to days, you know. Yeah, so I've got this yeah. sheet actually here that I go through with some um, pointers for clients that I thought I would just read out. And it says, what is pre-labor? And it says it's a time to farewell the pregnancy, which is going back to what I was saying. Some women can be really excited to move on from the pregnancy and to, you know, get the baby out. I've had enough now, especially in summertime. I've just had, you know, two beautiful clients go through the heat and it can be quite challenging. Um, and then it also says on here, a time to reflect and to let go. So it's really important to honour that transition from being pregnant to going into the stages of labour and birth. It's also a signal of a woman's readiness to proceed into labour. So that's really important as well, that the woman feels ready physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually. And then if we look more at the physical kind of components, it's a softening, taking up and the early phase of the opening of the cervix. So what a lot of women don't realise is that the cervix, when you're pregnant, it is pointing back posterior towards your tailbone. And so what needs to happen when your baby and your body is ready is that cervix needs to come from being posterior to anterior. It needs to go from being long to short, from being thick to thin, and then it needs to start to open. So it has a lot of work to do before it starts dilating, especially with your first baby this is. So obviously second and third babies, the body has a memory there, so it can often be quicker. Um, and it may take hours or even weeks. So that's also something I think that can kind of frighten some women when they sort of when I, I say that but that doesn't mean that you know you're going to be in pain for mm. hours or weeks it just means that some of these signs may start at 38 weeks and then you may birth the baby at 40 weeks or at 41 weeks yeah some women may go to bed with no sign of having the baby and wake up at two o'clock in the morning and they start having strong contractions and it doesn't mean that they've skipped pre-labor it just means that probably for the last few weeks or the last few days, they've been having signs going on, but they haven't really noticed yes. them. Mm -hmm. Whereas other women can really notice them or feel the sensations a lot more than other women. Um, so there's no right or wrong, it's just different for each, for each woman. The contractions may stop and start and are usually irregular. So in pre-labor, you will often have contractions that are really spaced out. So you may be cooking dinner with your partner and have a bit of period pain, and then an hour later it comes back and it lasts for like 10 seconds and then 20 minutes later it comes back and it lasts for 20, 20 30 seconds, something like that. But you can see that there's no pattern to it. It's all over the shop. If I was to say to a woman, how often are you having surges or contractions? She would probably say, oh, I don't really know. There's no kind of pattern to it. And with pre-labor, the way I explain it, it is that it's much more of an externalized process. So women can often still go to the beach, they can go out and have breakfast, they may even wanna catch up with a friend. So it's really more of being still connected externally with people. Whereas when we start to talk about established labor, it's much more of an internal process. Mm. So in pre-labor, women will often still be able to chat and talk to their partner while they're having a bit of period pain and then you will clearly start to see the difference when they start to have those surges or contractions that they're no longer now talking to you. Mm. <laughs> um, and for the most, it's like a period pain cramping is the way that it's described when women haven't birthed before and they want to know well, what will it feel like. Uh, and then the waters may or may not break. So this is a big one because I often say that we really, the ideal is that your waters don't break in pre-labour. And I do tend to find that when women's waters break early, 
Uh, it can sometimes be an indication of the positioning of the baby. So sometimes with a baby that's posterior, where the baby's spine is on the mother's mm. spine, can sometimes you know then lead to the waters breaking early, which is why I spoke about this in the last um, podcast that we spoke about, is the importance of chiropractic care throughout the, the pregnancy. And that is to make sure that the baby is in an optimal fetal positioning prior to labour. So for any women out there, please don't go to a chiropractor when you're 38 weeks pregnant. Please go either in conception yeah. or in early labour. Because it takes time. It takes time for chiropractors to work on a woman's body and what's going on for her physically, mentally and emotionally. Yeah. It's not just sort of getting adjusted once and then, you know, hoping for the best. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the waters may or may not break. So ideally, we want the waters to be intact um, throughout that pre-labor stage. Um, and then, you know, potentially the water's breaking just as the baby's about to be born, which again is Mother Nature's way of saying, now I'm ready to expel a baby. Mm. It varies from woman to woman, which is what I said before. It can be exciting. Sometimes it may be scary as well. There can be often some fears that come up around it. Um, and, it's a, and it's also a time to store uh, energy for the labour ahead. So that's probably the most important one I say to women is that when you're in early pre-labour, you don't want to be exerting yourself and getting up and squatting and moving around and trying to get the labour going. And the most important thing and the best piece of advice I can give is that you want to ignore it until you can't ignore it anymore. So if you can lay in bed with a bit of period pain and get your partner to get you a hot water bottle and put it on your lower back or your lower belly or something like that, and if you're only getting surges, contractions every half an hour, then you can rest or sleep in between. Mm. Okay, Not until your body's sort of telling you to get up and start moving around. Um, then go with what your body's telling you. Yeah. But that early kind of pre-labor part is to be at home with your partner to be comfortable, to be eating and drinking whatever you feel like yeah. and um, staying in your own environment. Yeah. That's the most important one because often women will tend to go up to the hospital way too early and um, sadly I think it's because we've watched too many Hollywood movies and dads start freaking out as soon as a woman starts having you know, a little bit of um, period pain or contractions and yeah. they think that the baby's about to be born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so kind of on that, when should you call your doula? So during that pre-labour phase, I will often be communicating with clients via text message. I may get a text message saying, hey, I'm pretty sure I just lost my mucus plug and I'll be like, yay, that's great. <laughs> um, keep me posted. Yeah. yeah. And it may be, you know, a couple of days later before I get another text message or something. Um, so my kind of number one rule is, of course, you can call me whenever you need to call me. Mm. Um, but if it is just a little bit of period pain in the middle of the night, maybe wait until 6am before you call me. <laughs> um, but I do prefer clients to call me, even if it is 2 o'clock in the morning, if they're concerned and they mm. can't remember what I told them or something. And if it's just them calling me and me putting their mind at ease because, yes, it is the mucus plug and a little bit of blood on the mucus plug is totally fine and to go back to bed, I would prefer that yep. than, than, you know, waiting until it's 6 a.m. to call me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or an unnecessary trip to the hospital. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Totally, yeah. yeah. So I don't really go over there until they start having consistent contractions, which is when we're now kind of more so talking about established labour. Mm -hmm. So how do we know that it's established labour? It's really looking at, well, what are the contractions the surge is doing? Yeah. And so what we're looking for is that they're coming... Reg more regular so they're coming maybe every five minutes 
And instead of lasting 20 or 30 seconds, they're now lasting a good 60 seconds mm-hmm. to maybe 90 seconds. Yeah. So when they're consistent and um, lasting longer and they're stronger, so that means now that the woman is probably not talking to her partner. If mm-hmm. I'm on the phone to her and she's having a contraction, um, it will often be that she will want to pass the phone to her partner or I will say to her, just keep the phone there so that I can hear you. And I'm just observing and listening to what's happening. So if I can hear her, often women will start to vocalise. So if I can hear her, you know, making sounds like, ooh, ah, then it can be an indication to me that things have shifted Mm -hmm. than earlier on in that pre-labour phase. If I'm on the phone to her for five minutes and she's had two strong surges like that, then it may be that we're having a conversation about me coming over to yep. her home, not necessarily going to the hospital, yep. but me going over there. Um, so that's often when um, I have clients sort of call me. But the sort of running joke with most doulas is that you'll get a phone call from the dad, you know, and it's yep. often in pre-labour. Yep. And I'll say, can you, get, can you get her on the phone? So say if it's, you know, the mum's Sarah, can you get Sarah on the phone? And she gets on the phone and I'm chatting and talking and then I'm like, it's too early, go back to bed. <laughs> and then I get the second phone call and it's, it's too early, go back to bed. And it's often by the third one that I'm sort of saying, oh, okay, yeah, it sounds like things have shifted. I'll jump in the car and come over. Yeah. Um, and then I may, you know, be in their place for a couple of hours or I may be there for, you know, half an hour mm. and we decide to, to go to the hospital if they're having the baby at hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So if we look at established labour and what is the difference between pre-labour and established labour, so just recapping on that, the most important things with pre-labour is to really try to do all of that at home. Just stay at home, do it at home, make sure that you keep everything nice and dark, you close the blinds, you can have some candles going, you can have some music going, you can use a heat pack, so a hot water bottle, a wheat bag, you can use the breath and sound, meditation, um, yoga positions that can all help to manage the strong sensations in that early phase. If you've got a bath, you could be in the bath um, as long as your waters haven't broken. Mm-hmm. You can be in the shower as well. Um, but resting and really just taking the time to conserve your energy is what pre-labor is all about. Yeah. Okay. And then if we look at established labor, Established labour is where those contractions have really shifted and they've kind of picked up a gear. Um, And we're now looking at um, the doula being in the home and and really just observing. It's not really that I'm necessarily doing anything. It's just observing and seeing what's happening. Um, I've obviously taught the partner some massage techniques. So it may be that I get there and he's massaging her lower back or wherever she feels that she needs to have some massage making sure that she's sipping on water or hydrolytes or coconut water, things like that, mm-hmm. um, and really sort of being there to just sort of support them through uh, the process of that established labour. Yeah. But do you have any questions, I guess, in particular about established labour? Um, I guess I, well, we'll start kind of with your role. You know, you just said then that you're, you're more observing than yeah, necessarily than doing. doing too much. And so yeah. I guess... What, what are you sort of observing through that established labour, established labour so you know, I guess, yeah, if they are going to have a hospital birth, 
when that sort of needs to happen or to kind of gauge where they're at in that labour? Yeah, so if it's with a woman who's having her first baby, then obviously labour can take a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So if I get there and she's, you know, doing really well and she's managing and she feels quite comfortable to be at home, then we just stay there. Um, If I can start to see that there's any kind of indications like she's saying to me that she feels pressure in her bottom um, or she's even saying that she wants to be at the hospital, then of course I'm always going with what the mother's telling me. I'm not in her body, so I'm really um, guided by her. Um, We will then often call the hospital, give them a heads up that we're looking at coming in, Mm -hmm. um, and then I will will follow them to the hospital. with women that are having their second baby, I will definitely follow them to the hospital because that journey with following a woman who's having her second baby can sometimes be the dad pulling over onto the side of the road. Uh, I've had a few um, incredible birth <laughs> stories of you know near kind of misses of babies nearly being born on the side of the road and then we've made it to the hospital, or babies nearly being born in my car and um, we've made it. <laughs> so um, it's always exciting. Mm. <laughs> Um, but I guess going back to the birth plan is probably a good thing as well to have a look at sort of what are the choices in mm. established labour. So if we have a look at the birth wishes that I use here, and I'm also happy if anybody at the end of this um, podcast would like a copy of a template of a birth plan that they can email me and I'm more than happy to email them a, a template because a lot of women don't really know what they're supposed to put on a birth plan or what their choices would be. So I'm happy to to pass that on. Um, On this one, it says, we wish to use water as much as possible, the shower and the bath. So that's really essential in established labor in terms of pain relief. So if a woman is wanting to have a natural birth with minimal to no intervention, looking at what her natural forms of pain relief are. And the number one thing is hot water. So we all know that if we've had a really big day at work and we get home and we get into a hot shower, the first thing we will tend to do will be to go, <sighs> yeah. yeah. So the same goes for birthing the baby. Yeah. yeah. So if you're really feeling the you know strong sensations of those contractions, and you're starting to kind of you know feel overwhelmed, then yeah. get into a nice hot shower. Yeah. I have a quick question on mm-hmm. that, and this is just from recent experience with some patients of mine yeah. who seem to be a little bit fearful around using heat, and that goes from early like you know sort of second trimester pregnancy all the way up until labour. Yeah. Um, and I've been asked a few times what I, yeah. where I kind of stand on that. And to be honest, I don't really know the correct answer so, there. Great question. Yeah. So obviously we don't want women being in spas, yeah, yeah. or saunas, yeah. or things where it's, you know, it's dangerous being in, mm-hmm. you know, a steam room or a sauna or even doing things like Bikram yoga or yeah. anything that's heating the body too much. But throughout pregnancy, absolutely, you can have um, you can have a nice warm bath to relax. You can have a nice, you know, warm shower. You can use a hot water bottle as long as you have a cover on it, yeah, yeah so that you don't burn yourself. Yeah. Um, you can use a wheat bag. So mm, yes, cool. I think it's important to have that conversation because I would hate to think that women are not using hot yeah. water because they're fearful. Yeah. Jing Jing Lee, were you mean? Yeah. No, yeah. Um, all the I've had a couple pregnancy. of pregnancy patients. Yeah, yeah, I've had that question um, as well. And it seems to be a bit of a fear around yeah heating their body too much. So there obviously seems to be a miscommunication of what heating the body in the extreme of like a sauna looks like and using a heat pack yeah so the question the question then to ask is how hot is it internally whether the baby is in a bath yeah yeah? in utero yeah Yeah. Mm. so it's the same temperature as our body temperature yeah yeah? Yeah. 
which is 37 degrees mm-hmm. or something, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So the baby's yep. in a bathtub at 37 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. So don't go any hot, hotter than that. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's good advice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 But you see, um, heat during um, late first stage, I found was amazing. But so yeah, or the other, yes. yeah, also into yeah. Yeah. labour yes. as well. Yeah. And then and then heat in labour, absolutely. Yeah. Nice hot shower. Um, if a woman is in the shower and she's feeling that she's too hot, then of course I would get her to come out. Yeah. yeah. And get out of the bath because sometimes you know being submerged in a hot bath while you're laboring so can you imagine if you're running a marathon yes and you threw hot water over yourself or you got into a shower you'd be quite hot yeah so we have to balance that with Mm. making sure that a woman is sipping on water or Mm -hmm. hydrolytes or some form of you know um hydration and then i will often have um face cloths like a small bucket of ice cold water and get some face cloths in there and if she's in the bath i will have it over her forehead yeah the back of her neck yeah yeah her chest so you just start to cool those parts of the body down yeah yeah That's and cool. then you don't want to be in the shower for hours upon hours so yep. you just have a break turn the shower off and then go and sit on the toilet for a little bit which is another great place to really labor is to sit on a toilet and the reason being is that you're really using gravity sitting on a toilet, aren't you? Yeah. So that baby's head is going to be really pressed onto the cervix, which is going to help to dilate and to open the cervix. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of if we think about a woman laboring the whole time, laying on in the, the bed yeah. on her back, yeah? So, you know, you've really got to look at the journey that a baby navigates to be born mm. and help support the baby to move down. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So and what, what else, um, natural pain-wise, like what, what other sort of fun things can we do? So, again, getting back to these birth wishes, it then says on here soft talking. So mm. when you're in labour, it's really important that you, we don't have people in the birthing space chatting and talking too much to the woman. And I think we spoke about this briefly in the other podcast that we um, that we did. That women, needs to be in that, women need to be in that primal part of their brain. And if you start asking a million and one questions, you're getting her into that analytical kind of prefrontal cortex, and that's not the place she needs to be in when she's birthing a baby. So um, minimal to you know no talking throughout the the process of the labour is important. Um, position changes, so that's again the job of a doula, right? And especially as a yoga teacher, I'm really passionate about this. So when I get to a, um, a hospital with a woman in labour, I make sure that I set up different kind of cute, you know, stations, I guess. So um, most public hospitals and private hospitals in Australia will have a fit ball, which we all know what they look like. Mm-hmm. So they're really good for women to either sit on and lean over the bed, like lean over the bed, and the partner can put a pillow underneath the woman so that when she has a contraction, she's sitting on the fit ball, if that yeah. feels comfortable. And then when the contraction stops, she can lean forward into the pillow and then really let her body relax and to rest in between the in, in between the surges. So the most important thing is to rest the body and relax the body in between the contractions. And that's so that the baby has space to move down. Because if the woman is tensing, obviously when she's having a contraction, which is totally normal as well to feel that sort of tension occurring, that when the contraction finishes, that she then sort of goes and takes a big kind of breath and relaxes the muscles so that the baby then kind of moves a bit further down, yeah? Um, Keeping rehydrated, which we spoke about. So if the baby gets, if the mother gets dehydrated, then the uterus, especially because it's, you know, the strongest muscle in the body, that can then get dehydrated. 
if the uterus gets tired, then you can end up with inefficient contractions. Mm. And now that then potentially can lead to then needing the use of syntocinin in a hospital to then get the contractions coming back. Yeah. So we want to make sure that a woman is staying nice and hydrated throughout the, the process of the labour. Yeah. Mm. Uh, affirmations and encouragement. So that's another thing that is really important throughout the process as well. So from her partner and also uh, from a doula. So things like, you know, um, I always, it's an individual thing, affirmations, I think, because some women can't stand them um, and other women love them. So I like to try to keep them really simple and that is so things like trust your body. Do you know, if a woman says to me, I can't do it, I'm saying, you can, you're doing it. Mm. Do you know, um, yeah. And often I'll just get a woman just to choose a couple of affirmations and she can just repeat them in her mind. She doesn't have to say them out loud. Or you can get beautiful affirmation, um, beautiful birth affirmation cards. Yeah. Uh, and there is a, I'll give a bit of a yeah, call out to a, a doula client of mine from a few years ago, Sarah, who created Best Birth Co. And if yeah. you look her up on Instagram, she has the most divine birth um, affirmation cards. Um, so you can take those to the hospital and put them up around the room. And that can also help. And then massage, so massaging the hips and the lower back, which is where most women find that they are feeling the sensations of the contractions around there. Um, and then things like essential oils. So I will often use um, lavender oil, which is a really beautiful, calming, relaxing essential oil. And it's also, um, I've been told, like a pain relief as well, lavender oil. Um, clary sage is a really good one for getting the, the contractions going, the strength of those contractions. Um, and then there's other essential oils that you can use throughout the process of labour to help just with calming and, um, and pain relief as well. Homeopathics, if people want to um, dive into that as well and do a bit of research, there's a beautiful woman, Bernadette English, on the Northern Beaches. Um, a big call out to her because she's incredible mm. and um, you can absolutely use homeopathics throughout the process of labour. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so in yeah. terms of natural pain reliefs, that's probably all my go-tos really. You can get those, um, you know, the stress balls. Yep. Um, so women can squeeze on those stress balls instead of squeezing their partner's hands. Yeah. <laughs> good. Um, so that's a good little tip there. Um, a comb, you know those old-fashioned mm. like hair combs? Yeah. So a woman can um, actually put the comb in her hand and squeeze the comb and there's acupressure points along mm. the, I guess it's along the knuckles actually, in the par on the palm. Yeah. And so when the, when the comb presses into there, when you squeeze the comb, it's pressing onto those acupressure points. Oh, yeah. Cool. So like um, acupressure points are another great um, tool for, for women and their partners to learn. Mm. Yeah. Just another little reminder that we are going to stop this episode here and we're going to pick back up right where we left off next week in part two with Brooke, where we're going to talk a little bit more into second and third stage labor. Stay tuned for part two of this episode. A quick disclaimer, these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.